Thanks, Vincent. Thanks again. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. We pray that you would set aside all that might distract us from your word and from your teaching, and that you would allow us to hear this, um, this clarity and this hope that uh, we can sense and see in how you interacted with Jesus in this powerful moment, and then how we can kind of stitch this together with this bigger vision of shalom. So help us, uh, may the words of my mouth and the things that each of us consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, welcome again, everybody. It's great to be with you this morning. One of the things that I know I have said at different times and that I've heard probably more often uh, during the last year or so than I've ever heard is this phrase, I'm maxed out. <laughs> I'm maxed out. And if you want to type into the chat real quick, I'm maxed out, hyphen, here's why. Like I'm maxed out with Zoom meetings. I'm maxed out with taking care of my kids. Like we can be a little vulnerable. You can pop it into the chat, but just I'm maxed out. And one of the things that I do when I get to that place where I feel like I'm maxed out is I follow it with this statement. I can't take on anything else. In other words, like it makes sense. I'm maxed out with online school. Thank you, Teresa. And I can't take on anything else. There's no more room in my life for another consideration or another thing to do. Uh, I've gotten to this point with, with work, certainly. I've gotten to this point with kids. Uh, when I come home from work, I have this really misshapen assumption that I'm gonna come home to like a sense of peace or quiet, but I have three small children under the age of nine. I don't know why I think that, but I walk in my door and I think to myself, it might be quiet today. Like, Fool, foolish young man. Like, what are you thinking? Like, why would I ever believe that for a minute? So I'm, I'm maxed out with sound from time to time. I say all that because as we've been talking about shalom, this idea that the Bible is so clear about as key to who God is, key to the identity of the people of God, a key calling of the church, all of this is central. One of the things that kept coming back to me was, how do we say shalom is worth pursuing to a group of people that feel maxed out. I'm maxed out with little human contact. I'm maxed out with people talking to me, maxed out with these strong emotions of others. Oh man, preach it church, like you're nailing it. And yet we have this calling. So how do you do that? How on the one side, do you feel this feeling of, of everything sort of at an 11, right? And then over here is this calling of shalom, this calling of to be the people who make peace, to be givers of peace. We saw this way back in Numbers chapter six, when uh, the blessing is given to God's people. You will, may he show his face to you and may he make you the gift of peace. Peace is a gift. And shalom is more than just the absence of conflict as we've talked about many times. Shalom is this sense of being made whole and complete, being restored. It's like many of us are envisioning a day when the pandemic is behind us, but more so we long for a day when we feel whole and complete again, when we can go places, when we can see people, when we can return to the office, when our kids are back in school, it's more than just the absence of a pandemic. It's, it's the restoration of what has been. So if you're maxed out, this word is for you. If you are needing that encouragement like I am to continue forward in this pathway of shalom, I hope today is both an encouraging word and it's a practical word. We're going to look at three different headings 
as we talk about how shalom is not a task, it is a process. If you're a list person, if you're uh, unmoored, if you go to the grocery store without a list, you need to hear this. Shalom is not something to do. It is a process. It is a project. It is something we continually pour our lives into. The three headings to kind of get toward this or this, we need a reference point. We need to hear the call to leadership, and then we need to know how to apply this. Reference point, the call to leadership, application. So what's the reference point? The reference point very simply is this. It's where you orient yourself. How do you know which direction you're supposed to go in uncharted territory? You need a reference point. You need something to kind of aim at. And the reference point here in the text is actually kind of hidden behind the action that's happening on stage. So if you look with me at Mark chapter one, we're looking at verses nine through 11 initially, but we're going to bounce around a little bit in a minute just to give you a heads up. Mark locates this story early, early, early in Jesus's ministry. Remember, Mark doesn't have a narrative of the nativity or Jesus's birth. It's just Jesus arriving on the scene, the good news of the gospel. And then there's this moment, and it's recorded by Matthew and Luke. All three of the synoptic gospels record this, where Jesus is baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River. And that in and of itself should be a really cool and, and sweet and wonderful scene but then there's this powerful moment that happens that kind of, it breaks reality for people. It breaks their sense of what a baptism could look like. Verse 10 says it this way, just as he, Jesus, was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart. I, I picture Jesus kind of coming up out of the waters and opening his eyes, and then he drifts his gaze skyward. And the spirit descends on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven says these amazing words, you are my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is before Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. This is before he rounds up the disciples. This is before he goes toe-to-toe with Pontius Pilate, arguing for his place in the world. This is before any of that. And what does Jesus receive in this moment? He doesn't just receive the gift of baptism, of, of new life. No, he receives something that every one of us longs for. And that's this security, this place of belonging. The image that comes to my mind every time I read this text is of a crown, like picture like a crown worn by a king or queen. And every crown is kind of beset with all these different jewels. Picture all the different colors, you know, red rubies and green emeralds and white diamonds and all that. And every jewel is placed in a setting. It's placed in a particular spot on that crown, and it's secure. It's not a very good crown if you're walking around wearing it and jewels are falling off. It has to stay in place. And I see Jesus in this moment, and I see him like a jewel being placed into a setting, and the setting is God's love for him. And now he's free. Now he no longer has to ever earn the love and attention and diligence of anybody else. He can operate in this perfect freedom because he knows he's secure in the Father's love. And his reference point, the reason he can know this with certainty, the reason it's driven down into him, into his very bones, is not just the moment. It's everything that's happened before that moment. Jesus is a Jewish man. He grew up in a household where his mother would have taught him the ways of citizenship, of belonging in a family, belonging in a community. What does it mean to be a man? And then his father would have taught him the Torah, the law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament and the prophets too, and the Psalms. 
And Jesus would have known. He would have heard his own dad speaking this to him. And if he'd reached this age, he would have received it from a rabbi. He would have listened to, this, to the prophecy of, the, of, of Isaiah. Like in Isaiah 61. If you don't have a devotional picked out for the week ahead, let me encourage you to read Isaiah 61. Because it's all about the Messiah. And I, I just believe with all my heart that Jesus heard these words as the Father was speaking to him. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. This is Jesus's mission, which he repeats in Luke chapter four. That's a whole other sermon. But if you go down a little bit further in Isaiah 61, there's this verse, verse 10, that I think is a poetic description of what is happening in reality over in Mark's gospel at the baptism. Listen to this, Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. This is the Messiah. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Jesus is adorned with the Father's love. No king, no queen, no royal ruler brags about being clothed with something that belongs to someone else. When you're in that position of power, you have all the, the finery and garments and everything. Those are yours. That's an example of your status. But Jesus says, no, what I'm clothed in is the love of God. Very simply, it is the love of the Father. And church, you need to hear these words. I need to hear these words because God says them to us too. In and through Jesus Christ, he looks at you and he says, Joe, you are my beloved son and in you I am well pleased. And Janae, you are my beloved daughter and in you I am well pleased. These are not simply, you know, parroting the words of the Bible to, uh, to a particular direction. This is what God says to us in Jesus Christ because the king, Jesus, is clothed by another. And we will spend all of our lives trying to find our clothing, our worthiness in other things and in other people until we find it in the Lord. And Jesus finds it. It is given to him in this moment so that he can then go and be the, the, the prophet, the priest, the king that he must be for you and for me. So his reference point is the scripture. Do you know the scripture, church? Have you been living into this wonderful thing that Megan's been leading us through, memorizing the scripture? Have you been reading through your 28 days of love calendar so you can touch on the scripture and be reminded of it day in and day out? It is Jesus's reference point, and man, it should be ours too. So now let's talk about how Jesus responds to this moment. He is brought into this place of security. He knows his reference point. It firms it up for him. It solidifies it. But now he's got to go do something with this calling. This calling of shalom, it isn't just a nice thought or a nice idea. It's something transformative. So what does Jesus do with it? Well, let's go a little bit forward in his story. Turn with me to John chapter 14. This is the farewell discourse. This is what Jesus says to his disciples on the night that he is about to be betrayed and arrested and gone through some of the worst things that he will ever face. He says these words to his disciples as he closes his active present leadership with them, his human leadership with them, fully God, fully human. He says this, John 14, 27. He's talking about the gifts that the Holy Spirit's going to give. He says this, peace, Irene, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Shalom I give to you. He is equipping his disciples for the mission that he has for them. He is not giving them tactics. He is not saying, go and create this project and then make a work back plan and get your to-do list and your key stakeholders all lined up. No, he is saying, I'm going to give you a gift. And it's a gift that I received at my baptism. It is the gift of peace and security in the Father. And out of that, you will go and do the ministry that I have called you to do. It is an identity that cannot be shaken, not a task that must be achieved. So disciples of Jesus Christ, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. You are beloved. And you are called to both receive this peace from Jesus Christ and to give this gift of shalom. And our world, man, (laughs) our world desperately needs us to be a people of peace. That doesn't mean we're peaceful all the time. It doesn't mean we sort of drift through the world, sort of floating and immune to emotions. No, 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 no. It means our hearts come back to Christ and we find our peace in him. And if you're someone that's coming from a more skeptical background, or if you're close to people in your life who are skeptics, let me just share this. This is what Jesus offers. He does not offer us axioms and mantras. He does not make coffee cup sayings for us to live into. He gives us an identity that is secure in the Father. It is a fullness that we can never find on our own. And believe me, I have tried to find peace and fullness elsewhere. It is not there. It's not. It is only here with Jesus Christ. And so many people discovered this throughout Jesus' ministry. One of his closest disciples, Peter, a man who betrayed him and turned his back on him. He was a coward. And Jesus said to him, get back over here. I'm going to give you my peace yet again because you need it. A man named Paul, same kind of deal. He was a murderer. He was a terrorist. He was persecuting Christians. And Jesus said to him, stop it. I have something better for you. I have my peace for you. And his ministry and his mission to plant churches changed the world. And there was a woman that Jesus met who'd been caught in a terrible act of adultery, who was in the midst of a public shaming that we can only imagine in our nightmares. And he met her with compassion and he gave her peace. And he said, go, don't live your life like that anymore. Go live a different life. Not that life. I have better for you, daughter. So church, here's how we apply this. Do you know the reference point? Do you know the source of this security? this peace that can only come through Jesus Christ, because the primary means through which we encounter this is through the scripture. If we are a people of the scriptures, we must be in touch with the scriptures. So Isaiah 61, go and read it this week. If you don't have a 28 days of love calendar, if you haven't had a chance to crack this open yet, it is a great week to start doing that. Every week you'll have scripture to read. You'll have opportunities for prayer and service. Please take some time and pick that up. We encourage all of our small groups to study the scripture, to talk about the scripture together. My small group has shifted to kind of more of like a, hey, can we just support each other and pray for each other? But man, it is so good when we spend time in the word together. And if you want to be a part of that, take a minute and fill out that small group survey so we can get you connected. Secondly, think about this. How can I, ask yourself this question, write it down. How can I be a giver of shalom? How can I give shalom to other people? Now let's keep in mind earlier, 
We all have different ways that we are maxed out, that we are feeling like I can't take on another thing. Here's what I would say to you if you're feeling that way this morning. Perfect. That is the perfect place for God to pour out his love in and through you. I'm not mocking that feeling of being maxed out. I'm saying that is the precise position through which God will bring about a miraculous renewal in your life. Why? Because God uses the broken and not the perfect. God uses the broken, not the perfect. Zacchaeus, he uses Zacchaeus. Remember, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. Zacchaeus never thought he was perfect. He knew he was diminutive in stature. He was an outcast in his society. He had no credentials that would have earned him any favor with Jesus. And he accepts the invitation of Jesus into fellowship with Jesus. You know who misses it? The guy who thought he was perfect, the rich young ruler, who walked away sad because he had many things. And he thought he'd kept all the rules. He thought he had nailed it. He was getting his moral desserts. No, he missed it. So church, let go of this idea that you got to get your stuff together before Jesus will use you. Let it go. Let go of this idea that we got to get through this pandemic and then we'll be able to be a people of Shalom. No, 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 no. Now, now is the time when we can be givers of Shalom. And funny enough, When you find an opportunity to give shalom to someone else, more often than not, God will give you a deeper shalom than you had before that moment. An example uh, from this past week, occasionally uh, I'll get an email or a phone call from someone who needs help, kind of a benevolence request from the church. So we're able to help out with things like groceries and other kind of small things like that. I had someone reach out to me for a request And I said, hey, we can't help you with that. Let me direct you towards some agencies that can help you. But we can help you with a few uh, little gifts and some things that we can kind of offer in that way. And I was about to email it back to the person because they'd reached out to me via email. You've done this before too. You're starting to write an email and you go, this is a phone call. This is not an email. I need to call this person. And so I called this person. They're not connected to our church. I never met them before in my life. And I just said, hi, I'm Travis. Uh, You emailed me and I'm here to tell you how our church can help you. And I was worried, genuinely worried that they were going to be mad that we weren't able to help them with this initial request. They were fantastic. They were so gracious and so kind. They said, oh my gosh, thank you for calling me. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day just to let us know what's going on. And we are so happy to receive whatever support your church can offer us. And you know what that did, church? That helped bring a little bit of shalom, a little bit of wholeness to this person's life. They're unemployed. They're in a tough situation. And we're able to help them get some groceries this next week. That is awesome. Like, I will take that. I am so thankful that God allows us to do that right now. And I was able to receive some shalom in that moment because I knew that God was using that. And I knew I'd be able to tell you guys about it, not to brag, but to encourage you. And to say, look, this is what God's allowing us to do together as a church. And I don't need to be the one that's doing that. I want y'all to be able to do that wherever you are, whatever people you encounter, let me know so that we can help the people that are in your life and be givers of shalom. Because the shalom, the peace that I experienced after sharing that phone call with that woman and praying for her was amazing. And I want that for each and every one of you. I really do. And Jesus wants that for us as a community to know his peace and be reminded of his peace. So as we finish up this time together and this story of Jesus, we're now going to turn our attention to the communion table where we can be in fellowship with Jesus in a powerful way.
Before we do that, you're welcome to get up and go to your kitchen and grab whatever you'd like to grab for communion. We're just going to celebrate that right where we are. I'm going to go back and grab the bread and the juice that I have here at church with me. But let me pray for us, and then we'll transition to a time of communion.